welcome to An Unconventional Life. I'm Amanda. I'm Thea. And today we're going to talk about uh, being queer Christians. We're going to start by um, sharing our experience of coming out uh, to the church. And then we hope to talk a little bit about um, theology and how we come at that uh, from a queer point of view. Um, and it's a massive subject, so we're not going to get uh, through all of it, uh, but we will touch on the things that have been significant to us. Yeah. Um, a little bit of background. We both came to Christianity later in life, in our 30s. Um, I had first explored it as a teenager when I went to university, um, but the Christian Union was very... Uh, conservative very evangelical and it scared me off I was like this doesn't feel right to me it feels too critical too um, dismissive it wasn't uh, representative of the loving God that I had always believed in mm -hmm. um, but it it never left me and I kept coming back to it throughout our early relationship Thea would be like you just want to go to church why aren't you going to church and and I struggled with it theologically for a long time. Um, and it was through finding works by progressive um, theologians and biblical scholars that I came to realise that the way I viewed it was not that unusual, actually. It just wasn't necessarily the most mainstream view. And so we, we looked at uh, the church that my grandma went to. It's a Methodist church. It was very open, very welcoming. And that's how we both came to be members of the church. We were both baptised in our 30s and confirmed as members of the Methodist church. And so when it came round to Thea's coming out, although there was naturally a hesitancy, we knew that we weren't coming out into a conservative uh, church, which would have been much harder. So we know that our experiences are not the same as a lot of people have. Uh, we're very privileged in that, mm -hmm. um, but we do want to share what it was like and how we think about these things. So I'm gonna pass over to Thea to share what it was like for her. So we had, coming up to this year, we'd been, I'd been in the church for around about two years-ish. Mm -hmm. um, and we'd, you know, I, I'd go every week as, as I found it, it was a great comfort to me. Mm -hmm. um, not just the community, but also having a, a, a communal spiritual aspect, which mm -hmm. was really beneficial. So actually coming out to during the pandemic has given lots of people the opportunity to, as they're in their houses all day, every day, to, to explore things that they might not be able to do, they wouldn't or they might not have the opportunity to do it as much. And for me, I, I re recognised there was a, a feminine side that I needed to connect to, and I'd already always always had this feminine side that, that was kind of trying to come out, and it was, it was more than just, you know, liking certain things, it was more the feeling. Um, for me, it was one of the hardest things to do, um, it was it was harder than coming out 
to you mm-hmm. and it was harder than coming out um, to friends and you know other family mm-hmm. um, for me it it was very important that I have a connection to the community and to continue be, to be able to go to church and you're very active in the church as well, aren't you? So I, 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 I've helped with, you know, I've regularly helped with the, with the, the youth program and would go Sunday, every Sunday, and would go to the coffee mornings and we would go help fundraise and do the homework club and anything I could do to help our community, our church, uh, our younger people, and also to try and get out the message that, you know, being in church wasn't a weird thing. So it was very important to me, um, and I felt the most anxiety over this. I knew that it was coming when things started to open up in April, and so I had to kind of think what I want, how I could do this, and what I needed to do. And I didn't want to just turn up and expect everyone to just accept it, because I know that's that's quite hard for people to just accept um, mm. so what I did is I spoke to a few friends and, and talked to you about it and um, I, I thought that the best way that some people have just suggested was to write them an email mm-hmm. so what I did is I wrote an email to our pastor um, and just explained what it what it was what was happening um, and how I was going to present slightly differently now because I was a trans feminine person um, so for me you know non-binary trans feminine for me just briefly I've always felt more female than male but not quite totally female so that's kind of where I am on that scale mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mentioned in my letter that, in my email that, you know, this has actually helped my mental health. It actually helped me accept who I was and that I'd still like to continue coming to church. Mm-hmm. And I needed to know that it was okay to do that, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a really lovely supportive message back, but I was still quite scared because the problem is specifically in the UK at the moment there's lots of transphobic media there's lots of transphobic articles I don't think that's generally what people think I think this is a media driven uh, a media scare like in the 80s with gay people and bisexual people that that they were going to cause everyone to have AIDS it's a similar sort of thing it's a moral panic about people because they're doing something that makes them change who they are Mm. and I was terrified because actually they tried to contact me via phone and I was so convinced inside that it was going to be some kind of negative admonition Mm. that I couldn't actually answer the phone or speak to them over the phone you didn't even want me to speak to them over the phone no I was terrified that it was going to be I was going to lose that support system Mm -hmm. which was my church Mm. And so I I was really anxious, but in the end... Well, they turned up on the door. They, they actually turned up and t- 
turned up to give us some stuff about church, but mm-hmm. actually were very supportive and were very kind and gracious um, and accepted, you know, accepted who I was. And that was the biggest surprise for me. One of the biggest surprises was that they were, these people, you know, were well in their 70s, um, but they're actually, they were okay. You know, they might not understand it, but they, you know, I think that's a lot of people's experiences, not understanding trans non-binary issues, but they didn't judge me for it. And they also wanted to help you. So yeah. I remember them asking, do you want us to tell other people before we meet up at church at Easter so that you don't have to deal with everybody's, everybody's questions? Su- yeah, surprise. And, and generally, I th- and I said, yes, that was perfect. That was just what I wanted because... By doing that, any questions they had would have been directed towards them rather them than you, rather than me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm sure they put it in a delicate way, but it was it was done in a way that so that whenever I come to church now, they always call me Thea. They always call me mm-hmm. by my name, um, and I've had some lovely interactions with people who I was worried that they might not be on board with it you know mm. sometimes you think oh well that that person they might not say anything outright but they might not be on board with it mm-hmm. so you know they might judge you silently but you're not going to know mm. but i was always suspicious that that might be the case mm-hmm. and actually some people have really surprised me by being just doing a few little things um asking my pronouns uh talking to me and actually saying that they had experienced it through someone they knew mm. uh, who had came out as a trans woman mm-hmm. and it hadn't changed them it hadn't changed who who they were mm. um and also that you know they they got some little bits together for me some bags and some bits and pieces and some toiletries and they gave they gave me to them gave me this bag full of really lovely stuff it was just a few little bits but it was really beautiful to me mm. because though they might not understand it and might not really get it they knew enough that they would prepare to support me mm. and offer me some things that might help mm. And that really, really was beautiful and such a surprise. And I think with me, I think I've come out a few different times. It's one of those things you always coming out to somebody or some point in time. Mm. And, you know, I've had some really lovely interactions with other people we know who've offered uh, time or clothing or, you know, expertise um and even in case sometimes money just to help with my transition mm. it, you know it's it, it's it's a daunting prospect to transition mm. you first have to do it me- uh, socially and then it's you know if if you go down that route medically but but it's you know you you're having to get rid of something that you've always always had and you have to change you're you're changing what your identity reflects mm-hmm. now so that can be quite expensive you know mm-hmm. and we aren't rich people and uh you know we're both on 
at getting support and benefits so you know it's not I can't go out and spend lots and lots of money getting lots and lots of new things so it's been a like slow wardrobe yeah it's been a slow process of getting a few bits at a time mm-hmm. and you know it's been really lovely that that people have been willing to give give something of themselves towards towards this mm-hmm. and it means for me as a non-binary trans person is that I have somewhere I can go that I feel safe mm-hmm. and I feel supported and I can be open and I'm not I won't get any judgment and you know if there is a problem then I have some there is a recourse and I haven't had any problems you know I think it's been really lovely and surprising actually to me that mm. that, that that people are willing to go out on a limb and just accept you for who you say you are and how you identify Mm. and I think there is this feeling that you that you won't be accepted and you won't be wanted Mm. and I think that's been a case for many people over the last 40 50 years or beyond that, that that they weren't accepted and it's only within the last sort of ten years, really, that that, that people are being ap- actually represented mm. and being open, uh, you know. And the church has been open to places and people mm. because we're all people, and you know, we're all children of God. Whether what we look like is what we look like, or we have to change how we look like, so that we can reflect who we are inside. Mm. I think. I was I was pleasantly surprised as well because our church does have a, a an aging congregation um, mm. and whereas we're very aware of these things because we're active on social media we see a lot more than what's in the mainstream media uh, it feels very much like um, we just have access to more to broaden our horizons so mm-hmm. like it was only it's only in the last. I would say five, six years that I've really got to understand LGBTQ issues. Yeah. Uh, and that is thanks to social media, n- nothing to do with what I would see in the mainstream media. So I no. was concerned about what that would mean for you going into a, an area where it was, um, there was an aging population. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember a couple of years ago asking. Um, our minister what would happen if somebody who was LGBTQ came to our church because within the Methodist church as a whole there is this big consultation going on which is oh I forget what it's called now God with us or something I forget forget the name but they're doing a consultation about how we as a church will accept people from different backgrounds and this is not just lgbtq people but it's also divorced people yes yes so there's a lot of things going on uh and one of the things i think that the stance at the moment if if i remember correctly is that it's up to the individual church and the individual minister as to whether they perform same-sex marriages and things i think that's think that's where they were last at but it's this big consultation process going on and so i remember asking 
because I'd seen online in some Methodist groups, a lot of people were very open and accepting, but there were still some very strong voices who were dead set against it. And I wanted to know what kind of position we were in. And this was long before you came out. I was just interested. I was like, what would we do? I want to know that our church is a welcoming, affirming church. And the minister says, well, I don't actually know what people in the church think. We would have to would have to look at that at the time. And I was like, well, we kind of need to know that before it happens. I remember that. Yeah, well, Ve- you would because I ve- were... very vividly remember that because I think even at that point, I knew there was stuff that I hadn't quite dealt with. Mm. Um, and it could possibly affect how, you know, I listened intently mm-hmm. because I was worried. Mm that if I did come out as some kind of, you know, on the LGBTQ spectrum, that it wouldn't be accepted. Mm. And also I think I knew that at some point I would come out. Mm. Some on, on some subconscious level, I yeah. knew that... There'd come a point where you would. And, you know, I, the answer was kind of diplomatic and very... You know, because he didn't know. And, he didn't know, no. And, and it wasn't a no. Well, I never questioned... It wasn't a... I never questioned his reaction. No, obviously. I always knew that he would be very accepting, but my concern was what the church as a whole would be like. Mm. So I was... I had this concern that there might be few people who could be very set in their ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and how would they cope with it? But when we went, because I came with you to church, it was the first time I'd been in a long time because I'm often too ill to go. But when I went, the first time you went wearing more feminine clothing, like the first time you went as, as you know, having come out, um, the, the minister's wife was like, you know, we talked to everybody and not a single person said anything untoward. Mm-hmm. And I think they were potentially prepared for someone questioning it. And she was like, but no, actually, everybody was very accepting of it. Um, And it felt really nice to know that we were part of a community that was like that. Mm. You know, that you could do this. Because it was, I mean, I remember being scary and scared and anxious before we went in. It wasn't even me. So I was as well. I was very worried. And, you know, I think when you when you're going through this process of transitioning um you 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 have to be prepared for for roadblocks and also for things to go wrong and people Mm. to take you know offense or to get abuse or anything Mm. and part of you is almost flinching Mm -hmm. ready ready for for someone to say something who's going to be the first person to say something is it going to be someone you know is it going to be a stranger in the street who happens to see you in a certain light mm. is it going to be a group of kids doing something mm. and, you know and I think you know I've been lucky in that respect that I haven't had any bad interactions with people I know mm-hmm. you know I um, I don't go out a lot to be fair you know I, I go out in the daytime as well I try and you know we don't really we're not drinkers we don't go out to pubs we don't go out generally in town in the night time so we don't get 
there's never there's not a chance for me to meet people who you know who, who could potentially be combative we also live in a in a, a, a village now where was where we were before I remember quite... saying to you I don't think you could have come out where we lived before because it was it was a much harsher area yeah it was you know yeah it was um it was a council estate and you know just before when I before I came out as non-binary I put on some clothing that were quite garish and, and bright and and I'd actually painted my nails for the first time ever mm-hmm and I had someone say something really behind my back and it was so said so quietly Mm. that you wouldn't even know they said it Mm. and so it was like that was that was harder to deal with than if someone had shouted it from a passing car because you know Mm. but you know you can't really take you you know you know someone if you if you took someone upon it you they say oh I didn't say that or maybe I didn't you know Maybe yeah. you misheard it, you know. So I, th- I think we've been lucky in that respect. I know it's not as easy for other people, um, even within, even within the Lincoln City Centre. I know people who, um, even the other day, uh, have been attacked and mm-hmm. tried to be robbed and um, had abuse thrown at them and all they're doing is just go go down the street really mm. so uh, if you don't look a certain way you get called out on it if you do look a certain way but they spot you then you get called out on it mm. so you can't really win mm. you know there's this thing of if you're passing or which is supposed to be passing as a cis female what does that even mean you know mm. Mm. Um, so you know I think We've been lucky with that regard. So, I think we both actually started to look into it um, before we came out. Oh yeah, before I came out. Yeah, yeah. we looked looked into it and we read up on it and uh, read up from different scholars and different people who who and there's different ways that. That the text of the Bible has been used in the past mm. to demonise people um, and attack anybody who's different mm-hmm. uh, and use these passages in the way that they were translated a lot of the time mm-hmm. not necessarily originally meant in the, in the Greek or, or the Latin or the, or the Aramaic even mm-hmm. sometimes these things have been translated or transliterated, as I suppose, mm. it, in a way which the only way they could explain it at the time, and in doing so, they have damaged damaged communities, and because it's come out that these things aren't quite as they always seem. Well, it's what it's all about biblical literacy. That I mean, learning about biblical literacy was actually. The first thing that enabled me to consider being a part of the church Mm. Um, and I did a free course on it through um, I think it was through Harvard University it was online you could do this free course on biblical literacy and it teaches you how to read the Bible in its historical and its cultural context because what we have to remember is that 
the Bible is made up of all these different books written at different times by different people for different people in a completely different era to what we live in, in, the in a completely different part of the world, a completely different culture. So you need to be able to read it and work out what they were trying to say. And I read this great book that actually my minister um, loaned me a couple of years ago called The Power of Parable with the tagline, How Fiction by Jesus Became Fiction About Jesus. And it talks about how you know, when Jesus, when we're told in the Gospels that Jesus was asked a question, he would often answer in the form of a parable. And a parable is meant to confuse you because it's meant to take you out of your uh, general assumptions and the way that you see the world to try and see it another way. So take, for example, the, um, the well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. We hear that today and we've lost the context for that. We think of a good Samaritan as a good per just someone who is a good person. Mm -hmm. You know, we even have the Samaritans who are a, a suicidal helpline. Mm -hmm. You know, it is something synonymous nowadays with a good person. But in the time and the culture that Jesus was teaching mm -hmm. and that the gospel writers were writing this out, remembering that the gospel writers existed 70 80 years later after jesus's life um the samaritans were not seen as good people they were neighboring people that that they wanted nothing to do with they saw themselves as above these people mm -hmm. and so you've got this parable where this man is attacked and he's left uh bloody and beaten on the side of the road and these people that you are supposed to see as upstanding, upright, upright members of the community, the teacher of the law, the, mm -hmm. you know, they walk past and they do nothing. And then the Samaritan, the person who's supposed to be, be this awful person, out, yeah. is the one person who stops and cares for this person, this stranger. Mm. And this is told in the parable of the Good Samaritan is told in connection to... Um, Jesus is asked by one of the disciples, what is the greatest commandment? Mm -hmm. And I need to look this up because I will get the wording wrong, I'm sure. Um, but Jesus' response is, if I can find it, just bear with me one quick session. Here we are. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's from Mark 12, 29 to 31 from the New International Version. Okay, so Jesus basically says, you've got these, you've got to remember that Jesus was teaching Jewish people that knew all these rules that had been given out in Leviticus and is it Deuteronomy? I forget which one. Mm. I'm not so good with the, with the Old Testament. Um, all these rules and laws that have been put down and they're going, well, which one is the most important? And he says, these two, love God mm -hmm. and love your neighbour. As yourself. Nothing else matters. He says, there is no greater commandment than these. If you get those two right, basically, nothing else really matters because you are loving people. You're accepting people. And, and then there's this good Samaritan parable of this is how you love your neighbour. Mm -hmm. 
even if you don't know that person, even if they're your enemy, mm -hmm. you still treat them with kindness, with compassion, mm -hmm. because they are another human being. And we are all made as, as an image of that, as an image of God, and we are this, you know, it's human beings. Mm-hmm. We are the, you know, we are the image of God. Mm -hmm. And and that's all, all of, of us. us. There's no exception. There's no caveat at the beginning of Genesis that says we, yeah, we love apart from this people or those people or that person. There is nothing that, 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 that dictates um, who we should and shouldn't love mm -hmm. and who we should and shouldn't except mm -hmm. it's it, what it does is it it's designed to encompass us all in all of the varied ways that humans are and you know if you look at it from my perspective is you know i'm going to give you put your your soul of a, a, a more feminine person into a masculine body and that's what you're going to have to deal with and you know that's by doing that, it's I I've got a different perspective. I've got more open mind, and I can be more compassionate to mm. those who are different to, than me. Mm. Mm. I I kind of lost the track of what you were saying because I was looking for a thing. So I'm sorry if this is slightly <laughs> off context to what you just said. Um, but in Genesis one twenty six. The and this is the translation you get in pretty much anything. It says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Yeah. It's not singular, it is plural. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, I don't, I, I, I don't know theologically how that works in terms of the, as a linguist, I find this very fascinating. You know, mm -hmm. that the different translations fascinate me because I was terrible at translation. I know how hard it is to get it right. But they always have that bit in the plural and that to me suggests that again god is this huge encompassing thing beyond our comprehension mm. if god creates everything in genesis the whole of genesis story is god creates light and dark water and earth night and day sun and moon you know man and woman the only reason we've got man and woman there as a binary choice is because throughout genesis you have got this this literary device of saying god created all these different yeah. alternatives you know you've got night and day but god also created if you're going down that route twilight and sun, sunrise. Yes, <laughs> but they're not, you know, day is not day and night and flip of a switch, it's over. And they're complete opposites. You've got this spectrum that it goes through, this cycle. You know, you have the, the difference, you know, this, the sea and the land. But what about when you get mist and fog? And that's the combination of land and sea and air and water. And you've got the rivers and it's not just the sea. And yeah. you've got all these different things. And so when it says God says, let us make humankind in our image, that to me says every single representation of that. Yeah. No matter gender, sexuality, race. age, race culture religion i mean we are 
We say that we are Christians, we go to church, we're practising Christians, but we are generally religious pluralists, mm. or, or at least I am. I don't want to talk for you, sorry. Um, I believe that there is universal truth in all the earths, all of the human religions. They're just different religions and different cultures and different times. And you don't have to have a religion to also have this spiritual, this... Um, this experience it's what works for each individual and for me i follow it because first of all i'm born in a, in a country where it's very easy to access a church community mm-hmm. but secondly i am inspired by the teaching of the jesus that we are taught about in the gospels mm-hmm. okay this historical idea of we know that the historical jesus existed we know that he was killed by the domination system of his day as a criminal. You know, he was so determined to um, put his love for people ahead of everything else. He questioned the religious teachers of his day. Mm-hmm. He questioned the political authority of its day. Mm-hmm. He was out there with the, you know, he's, he's told that he shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath because that went against the thing but he's like well what's what's more important to heal somebody or to follow this law that you've created yeah he he questioned the social structures the the who you should associate with you know if you're a religious person you should only associate with other religious people Mm -hmm. or someone holier or you know he Mm -hmm. didn't do that he did the, Mm. the the flipped that on its head and well why are these people any less religious yeah. Because they're a, a, a prostitute or they're a tax collector. All these people which were kind of reviled in their time. Mm-hmm. He was actually, well, no, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. We take everybody. Mm-hmm. We take everybody despite their background, despite their, their job description, despite how they associate with the world. And, you know, we've had this... this separation of things over time and millennia to you know which have uh, our own within our own domination system christianity has become a it's become a a domination system. it's become a domination system of itself Mm -hmm. and in fact it's you know in a lot of ways there was lots of negative things done in the name of christianity Mm -hmm. and you know that wasn't that wasn't the plan mm. you know mm. jesus didn't set out to, to set up a whole new religion system. he didn't set out to make christianity no christianity evolved after him and a lot of it comes from the teaching of paul who never actually knew jesus yeah um you know how much of what we believe today comes from the writings of paul in the new testament rather than what is necessarily in the gospels and that there's a one of the things i have issues with with christianity is how much emphasis it puts on the death and the resurrection of jesus in this idea that it was a sacrifice for all the sins of the people and that is actually something i reject completely and in many ways you would say well why are you a christian then (laughs) but i'm i'm a christian because i follow the what I see as the teachings of Jesus, not the teaching of the church. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and uh, it's what happened in, you know, when he taught about the kingdom of God, it wasn't some afterlife. It was bringing it to earth. It was saying, let's love each other here, here and now as we are. Mm -hmm. It's not about, it, that doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with what's gone before. So I saw something yesterday on Twitter and someone was saying, you know, Christians are all happy to talk about original sin, but they're not willing to take um, on the burden of the responsibility for what their own ancestors did, you know, in terms of race yeah. and, and colonialism. And, colonialism. and I was like, I've always rejected the idea of original sin, but actually put it in that context. I understand it. We are responsible for what our ancestors did because we are living with the privilege of what they created. Mm -hmm. And we are responsible for creating what our children and our children's children will have. And therefore it is crucial that we make reparations for what we've done before, that we change the system we're in. I think and as Christians, just acknowledging that that is a, is a, is a wonderfully powerful thing. Mm. Um, you know, by just by having things, you know, people apologise to and be on the record that, you know, yes, we were wrong to do this in this certain way. Yeah. Um, it may be people giving lip service, but actually it's, it's getting that out into the culture. Mm. Because if people don't see this, the things that reflect back at them yeah if in the in the in the in the culture of the church in the in in the wider world mm. if we don't apologize if we don't say sorry mm -hmm. you know if we get things wrong it's seen you know as a virtue to 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 just try and explain it away or mm. give excuses and just rather than to go actually yeah i did get that wrong mm. that was a mistake mm. i'm going to change how i look at the world I'm going to do this and make sure I don't do that again, mm. you know. And I think with everything being so quick and easy and fast-paced with technology nowadays, I think that can be lacking. Mm. People are very quick to jump on the on the bandwagon of anything that mm. seems to be, you know, righteous justice mm. in their eyes. Mm. And they're very happy to kind of, oh, well, let's punish these people or... Let's, you know, get um, pitchforks. And and I think if we were a little bit more forgiving and also if we were willing to apologise. And, and atone for what we've uh, done. Yeah, atone. We don't just get the blank slate. This whole idea of Jesus as a sacrifice and therefore everything is wiped, the slate is wiped clean. That's another reason I don't accept that because we are still responsible yeah. For our actions. Yeah, it, it doesn't. We have to take responsibility. We we we, we have. Excuse me. We we have free will, and um, but I think one of the things it is. I think more modern theologians try to say is that yes, sin is essentially going against something. Mm -hmm. mm. It's just sin is not necessarily something you've done bad. It's something against what. God stands for yeah the love the love, love of, of God of... and the love of of your fellow human beings mm. um and there's a couple of quotes I did I wrote a um blog post a couple of years ago called why I support the LGBTQ community 
as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel that it is our responsibility as practicing Christians to question and demand change from within. Mm-hmm. Because how can we be part of this culture and um, benefit from being part of this culture if we're not going to then hold it to account and hold ourselves to account? And this is why I will often say to people, if you ever need somebody to come and fight your corner for you, if you've got a a bigoted Christian telling you that you are wrong, come and get me and I will fight theologically with them. I'm not a theologian, I'm not a biblical scholar, I'm relatively new to Christianity, but I have read a lot and I will fight to the death if I have to, because it is not what I accept. I refuse to accept that, that Christianity is going to continue to be this thing that, that just denies people's humanity. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of quotes I got from, um, so John Churcher wrote, um, attacking homosexuality because the Bible says so ignores the fact that the number of chapters in the entire Bible that have anything specific to say about homosexuality can be counted on the fingers of two hands. So bear in mind, I'm just coming out of that quote for a minute, bear in mind that a lot of the, um, the, biblical verses that people use to condemn homosexuality mm-hmm. they don't even specifically say homosexuality no, they've been interpreted that been way interpreted to, to, okay to do that so going back into this quote however the word justice appears specifically in 24 chapters of the bible and the word love appears specifically in 200 plus chapters so what is more important justice and love or the condemnation of homosexuality Cherry-picking Bible verses to support personal prejudice and then to claim to have the biblical authority to back it up is the real abomination. Mm-hmm. They're what, what, what they have been used in the past is what we call clobber texts. Mm-hmm. Certain texts which have been taken out of context, out of context um, which are talking about laws to do with Israel and what Israel and, and the Jewish people as a whole were allowed to do and what they weren't allowed to do. Now, that could be simple as they weren't allowed to, in some cases, have long hair. Mm-hmm. But is, is that an abomination? Mm-hmm. Is that an abomination to, to, to have long hair? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for, you know, for the most people, it, it wouldn't be an abomination. But mm-hmm. it would be for someone of, a, of this particular faith yeah. and at this particular time. And these were written when they were in exile. Yeah. Um, so they were trying it, it to was very specific. Yeah, they were trying to hold trying on to, to keep their identity very, and they were trying to keep keep it separate from the nations around them, yeah. which were very different to the ones we have nowadays, mm-hmm. where there where certain things were acceptable, and and done on a regular occurrence. Mm-hmm. We would never argue anything about child sacrifice, you know that that that's an abomination. Uh, but wearing linen of two different cloth is that abomin- abomination? Yeah. At the time, it was for them. Yeah. For them, they felt strongly enough to put it down in words and to have it commit to. But but to do that nowadays and say that all these things an abomination is 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 wrong. You know, it, it, what you're doing is you're you're taking something out of context. Mm-hmm. It was something very specific 
for that per people at the time. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do nowadays is to unpick that and unpick what it means for being a person in the modern modern world. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes that gets lost in all the oh well it's everything's an abomination. But you know we wouldn't always say you know that you know if you if your brother uh, died that you would have to get married to his, wife. to his wife no one would say that no one would force you to do that no one would think that was the correct thing to do mm -hmm. but in the ancient world where resources were fine and you had to protect your family mm -hmm. and you had to protect someone who was actually uh, a widow because mm -hmm. being a widow was nigh on a death sentence mm -hmm. because if you weren't a man in the ancient world and able to provide you wouldn't couldn't You're provide screwed, yeah so what that was that would be seen as a mercy mm -hmm. back then mm. to do that to look after your family to look after your your brother's family to take them on mm -hmm. uh, you know in a in a plurality of, of of wives as well in 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 many senses so but you know we would find that almost an abomination nowadays to say well you have to do that because of that thing but you yeah it's not your choice you have to do it yeah and so to say that these certain passages that have been used you know and in some cases mistranslated a lot of the time to mean mm -hmm. something com something slightly different mm -hmm. um and they're used to clobber they've been used over the ages ever since it was translated into english to clobber homosexual lesbians and anybody who's slightly different and out of the norm mm -hmm. and for people to feel wrong and that it's dirty and it's sinful mm. and even if you'd lived the most saintly life you'd never been you know you you were celibate um you were these these things would still be used to clobber you over the head mm. and it doesn't matter about what you did it didn't matter if you were the kindest person who helped everybody and gave every cent away mm. every penny you know you would be they would still be used to, to condemn you mm. and are still used in a lot of places in the world today mm. there are a lot of places where it's it's illegal to talk about it it's illegal to be in any of these worlds and i think you know we should be moving on from that now i think mm. and a lot of places are trying to but you know there's lots progress of... is slow exactly well, um, another quote, because I want to, I'm bringing in these quotes because I want to make it clear that this is not just mine and Thea's interpretation. interpretation. No, we, these are actually theologians and biblical scholars who are saying the same thing as mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. um, so Karen Armstrong wrote in The Spiral Staircase, If your understanding of the divine made you kinder, more empathetic, and impelled you to express sympathy in concrete acts of loving kindness, this was good theology. But if your notion of God made you unkind, belligerent, cruel, or self-righteous, or if it led you to killing God's name, it was bad theology. Mm -hmm. How much of what we do within the church is bad theology? Mm -hmm. Condemnation of people who don't fit our idealised way of what we think we should be. I mean, just if you just go on onto something that was very at the time Jesus was against and that was divorce mm -hmm. nowadays it's something that's very common and 
our social structure is set up in a different way. Yes, yeah, so you, you can live as a divorcee. You can live as a divorced person. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have be married. You don't have to be in a union and a partnership with a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that in itself, for many years, people were thrown out of the church. They were rejected from the church for just being divorced, for just being a divorced single mother, you mm-hmm. know? And that... Even now, even now, in the you know in the twenty first century, the, the, there's still places that are grappling with that fact that divorce isn't a bad thing. Single mothers aren't a terrible thing, and you know if we're only just grappling with that change, mm-hmm. you know, you, you how do you how do you move on if you? I think looking at the dynamics of relationships and how they've changed over time, you can move on from it. Mm -hmm. A lot of places have, and no, no church, most churches you go into this country, that you know they might condemn you for getting divorced, but there's lots of places which will be quite open to you. Yeah, Um, and will remarry you if you want to. And yeah, I mean, not not some of the more conservative places, you know. You know, it's one 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 rule for for one person, and um... I've got another quote that yeah, goes go along ahead. with this. This comes from Bishop John Shelby Spong. It's quite a long one, but it, I, I I've put it all in because it's pretty pretty um, much says what we're saying. This point must be heard. The Gospels are first century narrations based on first century interpretations. Therefore, they are a first century filtering of the experience of Jesus. They've never been other than that. We must read them today not to discover the literal truth about Jesus, but rather to be led into the Jesus experience they were seeking to convey. That experience always lies behind the distortions which are inevitable since words are limited. If the Gospels are to be for us revelations of truth, we must enter these texts go beneath the words, discover the experience that made these words necessary and in this manner seek the meaning to which the words point. One must never identify the text with the revelation or the messenger with the message. That has been the major error in our 2,000 years of Christian history. It is an insight that today is still feared and resisted. But let it be clearly stated, the Gospels are not in any literal sense holy, they are not accurate and they are not to be confused with reality. They are rather beautiful portraits painted by first century Jewish artists designed to point the reader toward that which is in fact wholly accurate and real. The Gospels represent that stage in the development of the faith story in which ecstatic exclamation begins to be placed into narrative form. So it's basically going, these were written why did the gospel writers decide to write their gospels? Why did so many of them, four of them ended up in the, the Bible, but there are so many more gospels. There's the Gnostic gospels that never ended up as canon. Mm-hmm. They were chosen um, during um, all those councils, um, like the Council of Nicaea and all that. Like they decided what was canon and what was not. Mm-hmm. But there's so many tellings of Jesus's life, the life of the apostles, why were there so many retellings? Why were there so many different 
like like the nativity the nativity as we know it doesn't exist in any single gospel it is an amalgamation of the different gospels yeah and if you look at john's gospel it is completely different to mark's gospel not just in what it says but in the way that it says it because they were written for completely different audiences so there is truth within all of them but they, it's like looking at a painting of something that happened. The painting will be, even if you had um, a scene in front of you, if you got four different artists, you would get four completely different paintings. Some would, some would do it in an abstract form. Some would do it in a more um, realistic form. Some would bring focus to what was around in the landscape. Some would bring focus to a, a person. You know, you have to go under these words, under these messages to go, what is it that they're trying to convey to us? What, and it goes back to that parable. What is this trying to teach me? Mm-hmm. Not that this literally happened. And we should believe everything verbatim that's written down because we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things you were saying about how questioning, you know, it is actually good and right and proper for religious people to question. question. Yeah, it's we should question our leaders, and we should also question the Bible. We should question whether it's what the, what the, what's actually coming out of it is valid, and is in on message as well. Because if we're not questioning it, then that's we've lost because we're not we're not challenging. Mm. And what was Jesus about? But challenging the dynamics of his mm. day mm. and questioning the religious leaders of his day mm-hmm. and and we should do exactly the same with our religious leaders mm. we should question them mm-hmm. now whether you get a response or you, that you like or or you don't like that's a different matter mm-hmm. but we should actually be allowed and be encouraged to go is this correct is this am i reading this right is the if i is this does this actually mean what i think it means mm-hmm. and then you know it might just be simply someone go oh no it means this or actually it does mean that mm. you know but if we never question if we just accept everything mm. then you know what's the what, what 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 do we have we're not we're not challenging ourselves mm. we're not challenging anything you know and I think that's it's important dynamic to have is to is to be able to question things to question yourself and to be okay with things feeling uncomfortable I think we are too too we find things uncomfortable and we just don't even we go I'm not going to look at that I'm not going to accept I'm not going it to even I'm look not at going that to look at that and you know it's the same thing that comes up in my life is that people find something about trans people or non-binary people uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I'm going to pretend actually, it doesn't exist I'm not here to make you feel comfortable Yeah, I'm not here to make you feel comfortable mm-hmm. I might make you feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. but you have to sit with that mm-hmm. and you have to realise what that means for you mm-hmm. and have to actually oh okay I'm uncomfortable about it why am I uncomfortable why am I uncomfortable mm-hmm. about this aspect what does it really mean mm-hmm. you know um, I think that's one thing we 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 have comfortable lives most of us in most ways we mm. we have running water we don't have to go hunt food in the woods 
you know, we live in a comfortable time, and, and anything uncomfortable is, 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 is readily thrown out the window. And I think it's important as well to remember that the, the, the characters that we read about in the Bible are flawed human characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many of them are flawed. Mm-hmm. And we need to sit with that discomfort and realise that we're flawed. So like just this morning I was reading part of, um, there's a book called The Gay Gospels, Good News for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual and Transgendered People by Keith Sharp. Now, it doesn't go into as much depth as I would like it to, but it does give a great overview. overview of different passages and then there and are things that you can you. lock up later. And I was, there were two things that I was reading about. Um, the first, which I want to look into more, was about the beloved disciple. So in John's Gospel, mm-hmm. in several instances, there are um, points where this disciple is talked about a disciple that is never given a name and never given a role or a purpose other than the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why has no one ever really brought that up for me before? You know, it's either it's either suggested that Jesus never had a close relationship with anybody individually, mm-hmm. or you've got people who suggested he had a relationship with Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. No one has ever mentioned that he might have had a close relationship with a male disciple and what what we mean is is a loving relationship yeah that's what we're talking about so there was this um let me see if i can find the and this is something that has been talked about that it goes back to like he's got things from like the 16th century onwards you know mm. it's not a new thing so um in john 13 21 to 26 when uh, Jesus says that one of the disciples is going to, um, what's the word I want? I've lost the word I want. Someone's going to betray him. That's the word I wanted. Why can I not think of the word betray? Um, and it says, now there was leaning on Jesus's bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. He then, lying on Jesus' breath, said unto him, Lord, who is it? And then Jesus answered. So there's this idea in here that there was an, a male disciple who was lovingly leaning against Jesus' chest. Mm-hmm. And when Simon Peter wanted to know something, he didn't ask Jesus outright. He asked that person. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like you'd do to someone's partner. You'd go, well, what does he mean by that? And, and, you know, just to stress, we're not saying that, that what it means is that he was homosexual in any way, but it's, it was a dynamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a dynamic. And we're saying that, that this... That was there. That this was put into the gospel. Why was that put into the gospel? We're not saying that this literally happened. Mm-hmm. We've never said any of this literally happened. We're saying from a narrative point of view, and I see this, I guess, as a writer, Mm. um, everything that is in there is in there for a reason. It is there to point you to something. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about when we're watching a film or something, and the amount of times I know what's going to happen next, and you'll go, how do you know what's going to happen next? And I go, well, they've shown us this, and they've shown us that, and that must have meant something. And there must have been an importance to this thing. And the only logical conclusion is this. Mm -hmm. 
and within a narrative framework everything that happens and ends up in the end product Mm -hmm. has a purpose Mm -hmm. now it doesn't have to be literally true for it to be a universal truth or or a transformative truth yeah it was we he could love somebody and and have him close to that person and accept that person you know and it doesn't have to look at the lgbtq community uh, it doesn't have to be a sexual thing we have asexual and aromantic people yeah that you can have a dearly deep platonic relationship, relationship with someone yeah. that goes beyond your platonic love for other people but still doesn't progress into and, and it can be sexuality yeah and it can be romantic in the sense of uh, them being so dear to you and them being important to you mm-hmm. and i think you know we we've pride ourselves in in this binary of having a partner and you know being a man and wife mm-hmm. and always having that that dynamic with that binary where in fact real life is actually a lot more grey and you can have people that are dearly beloved to you. Um, you know, as as David did, he had lots of male male people in his life who were dearly beloved to him and cared for deeply and were important to him. And it says he loves them in his in the you know, in the in the texts. And so that that dynamic is a loving kindness of a relationship mm-hmm. and and what you know that sh- could be reflected into the world mm-hmm. well it says it should he, be reflected into the world it says here later in john when jesus is on the cross it says meanwhile stand, this is from uh, john nineteen twenty five to 27 Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, again, the disciple whom he loved is mentioned not without a name, but that way. Um, So when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. So it was that whole thing again that goes back to that widowing thing. In that time, you took people into your family, into your home to protect them. To protect them, them, to care for them. So, you know, there's this idea again that there was a disciple who Jesus cared about and wanted to make sure was protected like he had a family. And he also wanted his mother to accept... Accept that this was someone who was important to him. And would protect her and love her and care for her. As a son would. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we, as humans, we like to put things in boxes and mm-hmm. have everything ticked off. Mm-hmm. But in fact, we're a lot more messy and we're a lot more grey. Mm-hmm. And there aren't boxes for a lot of the things that we experience in life. Mm-hmm. And our, our tendency is to put, though, try and fit everything in, in one box and... In fact, there are more dynamic relationships in the world that we could be open to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's just a reflection of that. Mm. Mm. I think. I'm coming back to the point I was making earlier about how it's okay to be uncomfortable with something. These mm. are flawed humans. Um, yeah. 
Absolutely. It's going back again to the uh, the one that you told me about was um, in, in the gay gospels, there's a, a chapter called Joseph the Transvestite mm-hmm. and how uh, Joseph, Joseph's coat was actually a dress. Mm-hmm. The way that it is described, it sounds more like a feminine dress and he wasn't out in the fields working like his brothers were. He was more domesticated. Um, and when he ends up being sold into slavery, he is given favour by multiple men in power. Yeah. You know, so this is a distinct way of being treated that actually when you put it into the uh, context that... A filter, yeah. That, that, that Joseph could means. have been transgendered, it takes on a whole different meaning. And that I could cope with. I could go oh, actually, that makes sense to me. Mm. But then there is a bit within it that talks about the relationship between Jacob and Joseph, which to me is a very uncomfortable thing because it suggests that there was slightly um, what you would not expect to be between a father and a child, Mm -hmm. a little bit incestuous. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. Is that really in the text? And and it really confronts me and I have to go, I need to look into this more. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go, oh, I don't accept that at all, and I'm not going to look into it. Yeah, and also, you have to I'm be... not going to believe everything that's, that's thrown up against you. What, what... Yeah, you have to be willing to look at it with a critical eye and go, okay, if someone has set, suggested this, I need to look into it, and I need to make a decision as to whether it's saying that or not. Is it saying these things? I can't just take them at face value. Mm. And there were lots Just of... because this is comfortable for me... Yeah. I'm not going to accept this because it's comfortable and reject this because it's dis- uh, uncomfortable for me. Mm. I have to go and look at the whole of it as a whole mm. and decide whether I'm going to accept it or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to sit with uh, things that are uncomfortable mm-hmm. and just learn to uh, live with them and mm-hmm. feel them and mm-hmm. product them mm-hmm. and question them as well and you know with the last thing you were talking about the the the, the, the different relationships um a different dynamics if you look at them through a different like same gender loving as they say aspect the you know they were the same gender but they showed love for joseph Mm-hmm. And they honoured him, mm-hmm. not just the jailer, but Potiphar, the 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 king, the pharaoh, the yeah. pharaoh, and th- they saw something in where, whether it was because of his prophetic look on the world, which is what is usually suggested. So, yeah, but it, but actually, also, if you look at it under the fact that they were the same gender, they were same, you know. Why? Why was something that that was very appealing that they they could quite ha- happily accept this Hebrew, who was different, mm-hmm. and 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 they could see something different about him. They could see and accept it. Whereas mm-hmm. if he had been a normal person on the street, they would not have accepted him. So they saw something within him, something that was special. Not, and him. I don't think you can just say. Well, it was just his prophetic vision. Mm-hmm. 
it, you know, it, it, it's always more than that. It's mm. more than just, oh, well, he had a vision and that was it. Because we all know that lo- the world doesn't kind of work. You, if, you, if I come up with a, prof- a, a prophetic vision, you know, you know you're going to think I'm nuts if <laughs> I just come up with something apocalyptic, as they say. But, yeah. but the, not necessarily within the, the biblical context of yeah. the time, because there were a lot of prophets yeah. in those days. That mm-hmm. was something that was actually accepted as a... As a dynamic. Yeah. But, w- I mean, we don't, we don't have them now. We don't have prophets, we don't have seers, we don't have... Well, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that didn't exist. So you look at uh, Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Abraham's first daughter, first not first daughter, first child, mm-hmm. was born to someone who wasn't his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, we wouldn't do that nowadays. Not in the way that they did. No. So I think you know, what we're saying is sometimes you can make an allowance for things. Mm-hmm. Because, actually, it doesn't reflect where we are in a society today. Yeah. But also, you're allowed to question things. Mm-hmm. And go, how does this relate? Yeah, how does this relate? And actually, is it relevant? Or you might think, no, actually, what they were saying was more relevant, you know. Mm. And what we're saying is, is against what they were actually meaning mm. at the time. Mm. So... There are ways to look at it, and it's not just about, it's about reading, it's about, you know, looking into things and exploring. And there's also the idea, I always found it so baffling, that we're supposed to accept this all as canon that goes back, you know, it was written over however long, Mm -hmm. but then once the gospels and the letters of pauls and all that of the early church once the bible was created that's it Mm -hmm. no one is having any kind of uh spiritual uh writing that is important for us to accept now Mm -hmm. like there's nothing we're like did god stop talking to us two thousand years ago it's like the thing is he didn't because you had the whole desert fathers and the you know and how all what they said and how you know how they lived and how they tried to you know and you have things like augustine and origin yeah. who who wrote totally different things and yeah. had totally different ways to look on them and you don't you don't have to take any of them as being authoritative but you can look at what they said and look at their lives and actually kind of reflect on what they were doing. I mean, um, some things, you know, were so out there that, that they got kicked out of the churches and all sorts. And mm. that, you know, over the ta- over time, we've taken one over the other. But actually, I think we need to look at them all mm-hmm. and be selective and investigate and see what people said then. And see what said people said in the nineteenth century, and you know I think and what people say now and what people say now, mm. and and recognise there is a universal universality mm. to a lot of the things that are said in the Bible, and that you can be uh, an LGBTQ person, and you can be in a religion. And it accepts you for who you are. Mm. And you can still be a good person. 
and you can still be part of the community and be loved for who you are mm. and I think a lot of places are moving that way there is resistance but I think a lot of places that, that uh, are moving that way and it does not take anything away from Jesus or the Bible no. or Christianity no. to become more inclusive is to become more open and there are lots of different flavours of Christianity out there there were lots of different religions out there. Well, let's be fair that the original split of the church in the early days was between whether it was only for Jewish people mm -hmm. or whether it was for Gentiles as, as well. well. Yeah, there was a distinct, no, it's only for us and no, it's only for them. And you can see that in the, in the, early, in the, in the church writings. But we've got that today. This is only for a select group of people who believe this mm -hmm. or is it for everybody? And if it's not for everybody... What's the point? What's the point? Because yeah. we're, one of the things that we're supposed to do is to spread this good news. Yeah, for everybody. The good news that you can be loved. But that doesn't mean that we're... Th there we're, are no exceptions. But we, we've we read that as, we need to spread this by telling you how to be, yeah. rather than telling you the good news that you are loved, no matter what. Yeah. That's the good news. The good news is that... You are loved no matter who you are, how you present, mm -hmm. because it's all part of the creation, this beautiful creation uh, with all its vast um, diversity. Mm -hmm. You look at the world, the world, you look at nature, you look at how many different varieties there are in nature and how much diversity there is. Mm -hmm. How could... How could that exist if we weren't supposed to be diverse ourselves as humans? Mm -hmm. It and just doesn't make sense to me. No, and I think, just to finish off, mm -hmm. I think, you know, there are many ways to God, God yeah. as there are people. Yeah, that's why there's so many different paths that you but, can and, take. And I like that and I love that because that's, we're all different. We all have different cultures and we come from different places. And we have different look stances on the world. Now, you might not agree with this religion or that religion. But that's okay. You don't have okay. to. But that's okay. You know, I think, but, but there are opportunities for you to do that, to connect with people and to feel a part of a community. Yeah. And I think it's that whole thing about you can affirm that Jesus is the way to God without believing that Jesus is the only way to God. Yeah. And the way that I liken that is you could say, oh, if you wanted to go into London, you could take this motorway. That's the way to get to London. I could also go by train. Yeah. Or I could fly. Or I could or fly. Or I could, or I could take a little A road and do a little detour and go to Peterborough on the way or whatever. They're all still ways to London, yeah. but they're all different. So they're all, it is still true to say this is the way to London, mm -hmm. but that doesn't deny that there are other ways to get there. And that's yeah. how I see religion. This is a way to know God, mm -hmm. but it's not the only way. No. Of course it's not. Yeah. So, yeah, we've gone on for a long, long time, as we tend to do. So we're going to end it now. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You can find us online as always. I'm on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter as A Spiral Dance 
and Thea is on Twitter as Thea Shortman. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know if you'd like us to go into any of this in more depth in another uh, podcast or give you more resources that we've used. And we'll speak to you again another day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.